Well, 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 the song had nothing to do with me coming from L.A. right now, um, but everything to do with us uh, just building one world, one nation, as uh, we positively contribute um, towards making uh, life much uh, easier to bear for all of us. And that's uh, Black Sunshine talking building. And uh, that's exactly what we're going to focus on, looking at the contribution made by Indians in the liberation of South Africa. And joining me right now on the line, in our Devon studios, uh, Nirode Bramdu. Uh, good afternoon and welcome. Thank you so much uh, for taking our call. Thank you very much, Chris Elder, and good afternoon to the listeners as well. Now, you're joining us as a writer, author, and honorary uh, consul of the Republic of Mauritius and uh, representing uh, Mauritius in Deben. And uh, once again, thank you for helping us, um, you know, connect to this very important part of our history. Now, hmm. how far back do we date? Um, and and if, you, if there's a story that uh, perhaps you would like to share on when um, people of Indian descent uh, ascended to South Africa. Well, we actually arrived in 1860 as a, as a block of uh, slave labor that came into the country. But before we go there, Criselda, you mentioned coming back to South Africa. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to share with your listenership the fact that uh, in the 1960s, when the Congress leaders left here in exile, the likes of Oliver Tambo, Dr. Yusuf Dadu, Moses Kutane, Malwi Kachalia, mm-hmm. uh, all left without passports. And when they went overseas, it was the Indian government that gave them these travel documents. So whenever I return to South Africa and come through our Tambo, I remembered that fact, that, that all our ANC leaders in exile yeah. were accorded Indian status. And, and beyond that, I think India, before we come back into South Africa, I think India played its role at the United Nations as well uh, in the 40s, you know, before any other country imposed sanctions on South Africa. India was the first. Mm. And, you know, they put racism on the United Nations agenda and established a permanent seat against apartheid. But coming back to your question, I just wanted to throw that in because you came through. Sure, it's very important. It actually is um, very important that we connect to that as well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, But coming back to our legacy in South Africa, uh, 170 years ago, slavery was abolished and the British colonizers couldn't take over black labor to all the colonies anymore mm-hmm. and decided to reinvent it and developed this very smart system of slavery called indenture. And that is how you saw Indians being moved globally. You'll find them in South Africa, well, initially in Mauritius, that was the first country, mm-hmm. then South Africa, then the West Indies, Fiji, Suriname, and so forth. So this was an experiment that, that brought the Indians here virtually a slave labor to work on the sugarcane fields. And it's from that where this community has grown. But how, how I mean, having established or, or settled in, in South Africa, how did the Group Areas Act and then affect Indian people, if at all? Uh, it did. Uh, it affected us quite dramatically because as Indians came out of indenture and educated themselves and found employment, they acquired property. And then in one fell swoop in the late 50s, uh, the Nationalists introduced the Group Areas Act, which very interestingly had its roots in Durban because of the envy of the white property owners, of the Indian property owners coming into the area, decided to go and agitate for separate group areas. And that's where it came from. 
Wow. And, and, and Indians were dispossessed mm. largely under that act, my family itself. Mm. We had 20 properties taken away from us that we amassed through dint of hard work. So, so that says, you know, the, the plight on, on just getting the land back is significant uh, for Indians as well. Absolutely. So now let's look at, uh, I mean, growing up, um, I'm told that even with uh, some of the universities, there would be different um, ceremonies uh, upon graduation uh, for different groupings. And where did Indians fall under? Well, I can speak from my own personal experience. Sure. Uh, I studied at uh, the University of Durban Westfall, which was a hotbed of political uh, activity. Uh, a lot of struggle stalwarts, amongst them Praveen Gordon, Alf Karim, etc., came out of the University of Durban Westfall. Mm. And in those days, we never went to graduation because it meant shaking the hands of your white rector, That's the oppressor, yeah. at, at that time. So everybody boycotted, well, the conscientized few. Uh, boycotted uh, the graduation ceremonies. So they, we just received our degrees and walked off. Now, can you tell us something about um, perhaps some of the alliances that were formed um, between the South African Indian Congress and the South African um, uh, the National Congress, the African National Congress? Yeah, I think we, we can go a step before that, Criselda, that mm. actually it was uh, Mahatma Gandhi's founding of the Natal Indian Congress in the late 1800s that formed the germ of political activation in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And his close relationship with John Dube, who was across his, uh, the road from him in Oshlange, uh, in their discussions, and also it is acknowledged that Mahatma Gandhi spoke to Pixley Kaseme prior to him convening the first uh, Natives Conference. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, uh, that it's another anecdote that, that this, we now call it Congress history, stems from Natal Indian Congress and then gets drawn through to Natal, uh, the South African Native National Congress, which was later renamed the African National Congress. So it's a very interesting history. And then after that, because it became uh, separate battles, they, the leaders found that there's strength in unity. And Dr. A.B. Kuma Dr. Dadu and Dr. Monty Nyker formed a pact called mm -hmm. the Doctor's Pact. And that was the precursor, I uh, would think, to the formation of the Freedom Charter and then very much our, our own current constitution. The seeds of those documents were found in the Doctor's Pact. Mm. The, the seeds of uh, equality, freedom and liberation were all set in that Doctor's Pact in the 1940s. Sure. We're going to take a break. When we return, I'd like us um, to, to talk about, you know, some of these, um, the coalitions that were formed. And in your opinion, did the Indian Passive Resistance Campaign, if you can just touch on that a bit, um, did it achieve anything? And, and if so, what was achieved? SAFM, leading the conversation. Taking your calls right now and uh, your contributions on WhatsApp, uh, we have a WhatsApp voice note and you can leave it at 0614-104-107. And we're both on Twitter and uh, Facebook at SAFM Radio and you can hashtag SAFM Lifetime Live and SMS us on uh, 40938. SMS is charged at 150. And you can also call us on 0891 104 
0.207. And right now we're talking about the contribution made by Indians uh, in the liberation of South Africa. And joining us in the Deben studio is uh, Nerode Bramdu, who is a writer, author and honorary consul of the um, Republic of Mauritius and uh, joining us uh, in KZN. Now let, let's talk about, you know, um, the Indian passive uh, resistance campaign. Um, just for context, what was that about and uh, did it achieve any results? Well, uh, it was a concept that was formed by Mahatma Gandhi right here in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And it was a form of civil dif- disobedience uh, and courting imprisonment. And it wasn't just an Indian concept because in 1913, the Native Land Act was passed. Mm-hmm. And it saw the passive resistance by African colored and Indian people in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So it was a concept that came out of Gandhi, but it was used broadly in the broader democratic movement. Uh, in, in June of that same year, I think African and colored women in the free state began passive resistance against a new law requiring them to carry passes. They were supported by the Native co- Congress as well. So the authorities were eventually forced to abandon passes for women through this campaign. So I think passive resistance as a strategy against oppression has mm-hmm. worked very well in South Africa as it has globally. And, and I mean, for, for people who are listening to this conversation and, and saying that, um, but Indian people sided mostly uh, with white South Africans in oppressing um, black South Africans, your response to that? I think that's absolute nonsense. We have always stood on the side of justice and liberation. People who say things that Indians sided with the whites are very misinformed. Uh, the history books are replete with uh, the contributions made by the Indian community. In fact, Mandela on every occasion acknowledged the role played by the Indian community in liberating the country. Its population size of just 2% far outweighs its contribution to the liberation struggle. And I think Mandela's first cabinet speaks volumes of that sentiment. Mm. It was full of struggle stalwarts that fought for the liberation of this country. So in, in the continued fight, um, um, because you, you spoke earlier on about, you know, the, the issues around land, um, who should be initiating collaborations that um, it becomes a unified response to uh, some of the gross human violations that still exist? Uh, I think the, the government is on the right path. They have established a forum that is taking in views. They've already received a host of opinions around the land issue. And I think let us allow that process to take its course. We have all been uh, dispossessed as Mm -hmm. black people in South Africa, the coloreds, Indians and Africans. Mm -hmm. And let's look at that process and let's redress it. So you also did touch a little bit on the contribution that was made by Mahatma Gandhi. Do you believe that as South Africa, um, we recognize and acknowledge his contribution um, enough? Uh, I think more could be done. I think we have one of the century's leaders that we can claim ownership of. Uh, Just as much as Mandela was inspired by him, I think the rest of the world acknowledges his role. Mm-hmm. And I think more can be done. 
So right now for people who would like to read more about, yes. um, you know, some of uh, the contributions that were made um, by people of Indian descent, what sort of material uh, do they go to? Because unfortunately, you know, with all these mixed messages, um, there are distortions and I'm sure you'd agree with that. Absolutely. I think I must point out also the article that you're quoting from and have read I wrote in 2012 at the behest of the African National Congress. Mm. At the time, they were celebrating their centenary year. It wasn't a, an article that I wrote in response to the hubris raised by Mr. Malema. Mm. This, this is there. And if anybody is interested in reading the Indian contribution to the liberation of Southern Africa, all they need to do is look at South Africa history online. The African National Congress official website has reams of writings by Inuga Reddy, a respected academic based in New York, who was also the head of the United Nations Chair of uh, Anti-Apartheid Activism. Mm. Uh, there's reams of stuff available, and it's all there, it's all being recorded, so no one can gainsay the contribution made by the Indian community in this day and age. Mm, mm. All right, uh, let's take your messages. Um, I see some of uh, uh, the SMSs that uh, we've received and encouraging you to do so. Uh, give us a call on 0891-104-207 and uh, WhatsApp voice notes on 0614-104-107 and uh, SMSs at 40938 charged at 150 and we also both on Twitter and Facebook at SAFM radio um, is who we are taking your calls uh, right now. Um, SMS from Danisa says, my mother worked for Indians and had her own toilet plate, spoon and cup. Is that not discriminatory? Well, I'm sure you can't speak on behalf of all families, Uh, but majority of South Africans are going through, um, you know, have stories uh, to tell. Would you say that this um, you know, is is a concerted effort um, to discriminate against individuals, or, or perhaps it's just isolated incidents. No, I think that was widespread. Uh, it's uh, we're not going to deny that that such instances did uh, exist. Mm. It existed amongst the coloured and African communities as well. Mm. Uh, but we have come a long way. We mustn't be harping on that now. We must look forward, and let's work together at building this country. Is my view. And um, a couple of SMSs that I'm, I'm going to read as well. Indians and coloreds were treated as uh, better than blacks. And uh, there was a spittingly placed um, between blacks and, and whites. Um, got better salaries, uh, etc. Um, and, and hi, Chris. Speaking to Mahatma Gandhi, did he use the K-word as it's reported in our history? And um, to refer to us as black people, and that's from uh, Ramadlazi. And uh, another SMS saying, please recite a story which happened in 1949 in Deben. Um, your response to this, Consul? Well, let's go to the Mahatma Gandhi question first. He Mm -hmm. did use the K-word. I think it was common parlance at the time. Everybody used it. He acknowledged, and I I think this is what must be noted, Mm. the Mahatma acknowledged that he evolved as a person. And having come through this evolution, he acknowledged it honestly and said, I did this, I did that, etc., and I have grown from it. Mm. So... We would acknowledge that and we must accept that he's grown from it. I think it's also important to note that people like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, who campaigned against slavery, were also slave owners. And they admitted it and they stopped the practice. So 
it's an evolution and we mustn't take it out of context. He was honest enough to say it. Let's work with that. But would I you say there was ever... Far outweighs that. Was mm-hmm. there ever an, an effort um, to, because, uh, you know, when people learn a specific certain behavior, uh, it's yes. going to take a certain, um, a concerted effort uh, to help them unlearn um, some of the behavior patterns. Has there ever been, um, you know, conversations around unlearning some of the associations? Because if you grow up knowing people are being regarded as, as the K-word, how do you right. unlearn that? I I am heartened by, okay, I think we have all been ingrained in some form of racism by the nationalist regime, by keeping us separate, by Mm. giving us separate opportunities, and by creating a level of envy within the different groups and disparity within those groups. So that was a deliberate campaign by the nationalist regime, which we have to work out of. I am encouraged, however, by the likes of my daughter, who is a freedom child, born in 94. They don't see race. They go and work every day. And they get on with it. Mm. And I'm encouraged by that kind of behavior because it, it never existed prior to 94. All right. Let's take a news break and uh, we continue with this conversation and taking your call straight after this. Nirode Bramju is uh, my guest uh, in, in our Devon studios. Uh, here's Tracy Bumgad with the news headlines. Call Chris Salda now. 891 and also your WhatsApp voice notes on 0614-104-107. And we're both on Twitter and Facebook at SAFM Radio. And you can hashtag us SAFM Lifetime Live. And uh, let's have uh, this conversation talking about the contribution that was made by Indians um, to the liberation of South Africa. Let's go to Asha in Deben. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'd just like to establish my credentials, a liberal background. My mother, Asheville, in Durban, is named uh, after my mother. Uh, she was chairman of the uh, housing committee in the city council in 1952, mm-hmm. uh, when the uh, centenary of Durban. And one of the things she did was to establish Asheville, and the name was given with the approval of the Italian Gin Congress. Mm-hmm. That was one point. The other... I'm not sure that you were right on the slavery, uh, the Indian, indentured Indians coming out in the 1850s. I always understood it was that the African was not going, prepared to work in the cane fields. And as the sugarcane industry was establishing itself, it needed labor. Mm-hmm. And that's why the Indians came in the middle of the, 18, the 19th century, 1850-something, wasn't it? The next thing is, that the uh, Indian education did not start with Durban Westville. Sastry College was part of NUC, Natal University College, where I was educated. Mm. Uh, before it was, uh, it was, at that time, it was a, what do you call it, of the University of South Africa. So those two uh, points. And then the okay. last one is that before the Group Areas Act, mm. there was a pegging act in, I think it was 1942, uh, and the reason that was established was that the, uh, the, the residents of the Berea and that area in Durban were joining the army and they were selling their homes, mm. and the homes were bought by, by the Indians. And I think your guest uh, said that he, his family owned 20-something properties. So the Pegging Act came in 42, 
And the Group Areas Act was later, wasn't it, when the, the Nats got in? I just thought I'd uh, pass those remarks on. Thank you. Thank you very much, Asha. Actually, the reason we're having this conversation is so that we get to understand um, us as African people better. It's much easier to point fingers and, and blame and, you know, critique when you don't know, when you don't understand and when you know better, um, you say better and you do better. Thank you for that contribution. All right, let's go to can touch. I, can I respond? Sure. Sure, you can go ahead. Well, I'm quite familiar with uh, the callers, Mom Mary Asher. Uh, in fact, I grew up in Asherville. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm quite familiar with her work and, and being a liberal. And I acknowledge that the NIC did uh, cooperate in that development. On the point of slavery, mm. um, it, was, it was a combined, uh, it was a combined manner of forces that brought uh, Indians to South Africa. On the one hand, it was the refusal of the local community to work on in agriculture. And on the other, it was the, the planters' inability to import slave labor. Mm. So they reinvented it and came up with this indenture. So I'd like to just put that in, in sure. response to Mr. Asher. All right, let's go to Jemiston and speak to Taj. Good afternoon. Hi, Tricelda. Good afternoon, and to your guest also. I, thank you. I think maybe you'll help me also. We need facts. Now, yeah. uh, mm. just want your guest to balance me. I think earlier you asked him, like, you, uh, you, you put a statement, I think, to him, that no, uh, that, that purported to say that, no, is it true that Indians sometimes think they, they sided with, with whites instead of siding with, with Africans? And then he said, no, that's nonsense. He said, no, it's not true. Now, and I, 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 I saw speeches of Gandhi uh, in the early days where he was saying Indians are better than Africans. And I think his answer there is not entirely correct. Because if, if, if he believes that Gandhi, um, there was some evolution of Gandhi maybe before then, that was the case, then obviously his answer can be right. Then it means there were times where... Uh, Indians thought they were better than Africans or they thought that, no, they sided with, with Europeans or with, with white people instead of siding with, mm. with Africans. Touch, if I may uh, just add there, um, Mr. Bramdu did actually acknowledge that in the early years, um, Gandhi did use the K-word and uh, some of the statements that were unfortunate, uh, at, at a later stage he retracted them. And I hope you did okay, get that. Okay, basically he was saying Mr. Gandhi in his earlier years was a racist. Well, <laughs> okay. No, no, you see, I'm not, I'm not sure. What is All right, let's find out. Me? Let's find out from Mr. Bramdew. I mean, I'm not going okay. to respond on his behalf, but I, I just wanted uh, to put that disclaimer that he did acknowledge oh, okay. um, no, no, the no, use I, of I, language. I have a question. Oh. Let, let, let's sure. allow him to answer. Okay. Okay, thank you very much for that question. I also want to point out the fact that in terms of his strategy, Mahatma Gandhi was looking at Indians not as necessarily better, but they were members of the British Empire, having come from a colonized country. And his route to their liberation, he thought, was through the British system. And that is why he aligned the two. Uh, it could be misinformed. I could mm. be misinformed also. But that is the strategy he used. And it didn't get him anywhere, but he did try it. All right. Uh, you said you have a follow-up okay. question. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Now, my, my follow-up question is, remember Gandhi, he was fighting for the right of Indians. Mm. 
uh, he had supporters. I'm not sure the, uh, the, about the numbers, but I, I believe that you no, know, the majority of Indians obviously were behind him when he was, I mean, fighting for their right. Mm-hmm. And if that's true, if that's true, uh, Chris Elder, then it means Julius uh, Malima is not far off from the truth. No. Okay. That's, that's, if, if, if Gandhi was representing the interests of Indians when he was being racist, then it means Julius Malima is not far off. He's closer to the truth. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Touch, uh, for that Thanks. contribution. Let's go to Sihe Mbangini. Good afternoon and welcome. Hello, Criselda. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I don't know what I wanted to say before, but listening <laughs> to the speakers right now, I hope you wrote I don't it think down. This is helping us as a nation in building the nation. Uh, we have good and bad people in all the races. Absolutely. To be quite frank. Absolutely. Um, and uh, to just label people as racist or something, uh, I was just listening, just uh, quarter to 12, I listened mm-hmm. to the book reading. Kulumatiba um, does acknowledge. Uh, the contribution of the Indians mm. uh, to our liberation. Well, it doesn't matter where you come from. They had their own Congress, but eventually we all met up together and uh, we all fought for this struggle of which now the ills of the past, we are supposed to teach our kids not to have those ills anymore. Yeah. To say that people are racist, we are still instilling what we want to eradicate. Mm, we are mm. still instilling it to say uh, people are racist, people are, bunny, uh, are misusing, or people are doing what, what. You know, one of your SMSs you read, you said the lady or whatever, whoever said uh, her mother worked for the Indians, and then she had her own spoon, she had her own uh, what, what. My father had, their own, he had his own spoon at home. It was a sign of respect to my father. You do not eat with my father's plate. You do not eat with his spoon. A lot of African families, they did that. Was that discrimination? Mm. Well, I'm not sure which side or which point of view you look at it. Yeah. So let, let's stop this. Uh, if I have my own toilet... It's not being racist. Uh, actually, if I have my own toilet, I would be a happy man because I'll keep mine clean. Okay. You know, I, I don't know. That's thank how you, I look thank at you it. very yeah. much uh, for that contribution, Pitwam. And and you know, once again, we need to continuously have these conversations in order for us um, to. Speak dispel some of the myths um, to also acknowledge uh, where we've gone wrong as a society, as a people. And and thank you for pointing out uh, that it's pointless for us to continuously you know, call each other out um, and, and use derogatory terms. Uh, that That's not helping in nation building. Uh, and, and that's where we're going to end uh, this conversation. If we can uh, perhaps once again go back um, to information resources uh, that we can use as reference as we educate ourselves about the contribution of Indian people. Chriselda, can I close with a quote from President Mandela? Sure. Uh, in speaking on an anniversary of their arrival to South Africa, mm. uh, President Mandela at the time said, the Indian community have become ingrained within the South African landscape. Mm. South Africa has been enriched by the beauty of their cultures, the wisdom of their religions, and the generosity of their peoples. Mm. We are delighted that while they are distinctly Indian, 
they remain proudly South African. Mm. We look forward to working closely together with the Indian community to build a brighter and better future for all South Africans. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. I would also like um, to just end uh, with uh, Madiba's quote. And thank you, Mr. Nirod uh, Bramdu, a writer, author, and honorary consul of the Republic of Mauritius in Deben as we're reflecting on the contribution by Indian people in, in South Africa. And I uh, would like to also end with a quote from Madiba. No one is born hating another person because of the color of their skin or his background, his religion, Um, People must learn to hate, and if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than it's possible. And that uh, close quote, Nelson Mandela. Thank you so much uh, to all your contributions.